going to play a winning piece which came from last year's competition. This one is called To Be Family. It's written by Michael Liu, um, Michael Liu who is the second prize winner of the Top Story uh, competition 2018 in the junior category. And it's read by Adam Chung. Here it is, To Be Family. Before the sun breaks open the day's gold, before the pelagic rumble of traffic undulates through Tai Wo, before the trees inhale the sometimes mist that lingers from the night's cold comfort, before apartment buildings blink their many eyes, Philip hears a bird call. As mythical as anything that happens at the precipice of daybreak, true but not yet fact, as plaintive in its two tones of rising pitch reaching for a response. Tchaikovsky, he thinks. And of course he would. Obedient son who studied violin unlike his brother Nick, who preferred playing together than with instruments. With him, Philip was staying for a while, waking up in a room where his brother has cleared out just enough space for a mattress, suitcases stored inside larger suitcases, gadgets and paperwork, put away in boxes and between boxes, everything that could be stacked, stacked. Imbricate like how Hong Kong overflows over itself. As soon as Philip turned 18, he had left his family for America. It wasn't until he graduated, stayed, and stayed away that he realized the stranger that his family was to him. Of course, his mother felt differently and cared in the most ordinary maternal love, pestering after his weight loss and singleness, whether he was warm in winter whether he drank enough water. Nick, though, kept his distance. If not because a hard worker's reward in Hong Kong was more work than because he, too, understood how different they were. When Philip lost his job as a real estate agent, he made a begrudging concession to come home. Because their parents' flat was too small, Nick, motivated by familial piety and who made good living at an IT firm, asked his hoarder wife to do what she could about his computer rooms slash her storage. Nick was a collector, CDs of soundtracks from his favorite movies, comic books, t-shirts. But Siu Fa, an administrator at a local pet rescue shelter, was a hoarder with a talent inherent to her kind for finding use and future use in all things miscellaneous, hats for occasions. Bottles and vials of organic makeup pass its use-by date. Tarot cards and inspirational books, tote bags, piles of unopened mail, which when they did go through them, disrupted not a few pincher bugs. They welcomed Philip, and he was grateful. That was a year ago. Now as he lay in bed, he listens to the bird calls and thinks there's just one bird. He pictures a small dragon, as slender as it is solitary serpentine and slithering through shady banyan trees, parting their aerial roots like curtains, searching for companions or for the day's quest. Sometimes, a different call. A staccato, also in ascending pitch, an announcement or laughter. In the years since his return, he hasn't seen it once. Bluish black feathers, Berry red eyes and refusing to sing for his smartphone. He knew to look for the Asian Coel because it was featured in a local article that included diverging testimonies 
about these neighbors as auspicious or annoying. Then he learned that coels were brood parasites, laying their eggs in the nests of other bird species. The coel chicks evicting the host eggs and forcing the host mother to feed them. Having no opportunity to learn this behavior, ornithologists concluded that this was genetic, instinctual drive to let others do the caregiving. He imagined the coels as orphans, lost and home-calling, taking with them their cares. When he hears a clatter about the apartment, he knows it's almost 7 in the morning. Nick and Fa will leave for work and likely not return until Philip is ready for bed. He pretends to be asleep until he hears the metal gate's soft clang and latch. The day for him remains undecided, but he dresses as if going to work. For a year now, he's lived off his savings, free room and board, and tutoring English to local professionals. But he's still unsure of what's next. He could do real estate again, but he can barely explain himself in Chinese. Like one time to Silfa, how he wished to spend more time with Nick getting reacquainted and his refusal. When they had these conversations, she dismissed the concern, not unkindly, but with slight resignation, and say, you know he's like that. He doesn't feel like looking for a job today. He calls his mother. I won $200 at Mahjong last night, she says. That's good. Don't lose it in the next game, he says. And she laughs. A well-worn routine. How's the job search? Fine. You should go back to school. My friend's son got into an MBA program this year. How's Nick? I don't know. You see him every day. Only sometimes. He's fine. Only five minutes pass. And he has no one else to call. He makes a grocery list and changes into something casual. He wants to make lion's head meatballs, tells that to the butcher, who promises the best cut as he throws some fat to the grinder. His Chinese is passable as it is to the auntie selling vegetables who bags the muddy water chestnuts separate from the Napa cabbage, and to the auntie selling fruits who insists he tries some lychees before buying them. At home, after shaping the meatballs and frying them, he puts them in a steamer and picks up around the apartment. He vacuums, moves the couch to get at forgotten surfaces that dust and hair accumulate on. He wipes the table and the leather couch, arranges the cushions and shoes, and neatly stacks the growing pile of mail. Every ten minutes he checks on the meatballs until the juice runs clear. For the bathroom, he scrapes off the grout buildup, scrubs the rust from the tiles near the faucet without success, bleaches everything. He takes a nap. When Philip was selling homes, he loved it. To prepare to showing, he would imagine Christmas and birthday photographs lining the hallway walls, freshly painted, light tan set a table for a family party of ten, consider how far the bedrooms were in case a child woke from a nightmare and needed to find her mother. Even the boring and ubiquitous apartments in their bland carpets and boxy layouts he could love, the sun warming a couch by the window on a winter morning, the furniture pushed to the walls for an impromptu wrestling match with the kids. He compared an empty home to a blank canvas, except that each canvas was shaped differently. And on this canvas, he could paint for his potential clients what they couldn't yet imagine. 
The understanding that Philip's stay would be temporary did little to ameliorate the friction between him and Nick. As river rocks are smoothed by abrasion, it would take time for them to adjust to another. They both knew this, one as brother, one as guest. Philip imagined a kindling of a friendship, with all the attendant misunderstandings and forgiveness. But Nick, as laconic as he was absent from home, had little margin to spare than hosting a guest. A driftwood caught for a little while on its way to the ocean. Once, Philip insisted that the two of them go out on a Friday night, but was caught off guard by a litany of grudges Nick had been brooding over for months. And though there was a familiarity Philip recognized, he couldn't identify its shape, like how Philip got detention once for being late to school bus, departing Ocean Park, making everyone in his Form 1 class wait, something for which he did not remember feeling any guilt. Since then, Philip tried to make himself domestic and scarce, but in the soft, fertile silences of a long day boiling soup or washing dishes, a thought might hatch that he was not welcome. At first, he entertained the thought, fed its speculations, till it grew and crowded out all other thoughts. The only thing he could do at that point was to push the thought from his mind, killing it. But then it would be late again, hatch and squawk, demanding nurture and being adopted as his own. Eventually, he got good at early detection and eviction. By the time Nick gets home, Philip has finished dinner, showered and is reading something he's sure he won't remember the next day. Nick makes himself a plate of rice and meatballs and sits down to continue whatever show on Netflix he was watching the night before. How was your day? Philip asks Nick. Fine? Busy? How are the meatballs? I haven't had them yet. Nick answers and takes a bite. They're fine. A little more salt. I've decided to move out. Why? I've been here a year already. Can you afford it? I'll figure something out. Okay. Good luck. Within a month, Philip moves to Shamshui Po, sharing a modest three-bedroom flat with a Vietnamese banker who is young and energetic, staying out after long hours at his work, jazz at the fringe club, salsa dancing at 1563 at the east, and an e-commerce specialist who also keeps long hours, but when she's home is otherwise a homebody, playing MMORPG games and listening to K-pop. Everyone mostly keeps out of each other's way. The living room, because it's mostly unused, is spare. A nondescript IKEA coffee table, an old off-white couch, a rack of a carpet. The kitchen is even more barren, a spoon and a pair of chopsticks per person, a rusting chef's knife, and whatever was needed to make an emergency pot of rice or soup. He stocks the kitchen with more utensils and pans, herbs and spices. He also splurges at the Prince Edward flower market, basil, mint, flame lily, peace lily, snake plant, heart leaf, philodendron, devil's ivy, the leaves, like fire, mesmerize and calm him. To be frugal, he avoids the AC whenever he can, but even when it's cool enough to open the windows, the traffic and occasional weekend argument from 10 stories below him wake him up at night. Often a siren from an ambulance or a fire truck would break the night's quiet sepia, its flashing red and white lights, its wail that grows more woeful the fainter it gets. During the day, he imagines the outside world as oceanic, Motors and tires sonorous like waves, the incessant honking as if humans turn into geese, 
The seagull squawks of long metal carts piled to the top of cardboard boxes or with black trash bags and pushed by old ladies that thatch triangle hats and long sleeves. One evening, Nick texts Philip about a missing soup pot that Siofa is looking for. You never cook, so I thought it'd be okay. You're a selfish bastard. Can we talk in person? I'm unhappy too. You too? Huh, there's nothing to talk about. Philip sends a few more texts, but Nick has stopped responding. The sudden escalation surprises Philip, but he also feels a sense of relief, as if an unexplained disease finally has a diagnosis. He misses the Coels. He gets dressed and walks to the nearest park in Prince Edward, the only other place he's heard them nearby. At the park, dimly lit with low amber lights, he finds a ledge in the shadows and sits. Strown about in clusters are old men with hand fans and cigarettes, mothers chatting while kids run about, Pakistani men laughing. He imagines his old room, the mattress vertical against the wall, shoe racks and storage bins repopulating in its place. The kitchen would be spotless but dusty and the living room spacious again. The koel would still call in the mornings. From a distance, a siren begins its crescendo, then another, and another. It must be a disaster, he thinks. When they pass by the park, three emergency vehicles blaring, he can think of nothing else. And that was Adam Chung reading the winning piece, To Be Family, by Michael Liu, who was the second prize winner of Hong Kong's Top Story 2018 in the junior category. So don't forget, for the latest on this year's Top Story competition, check out our website, radio3.rthk.hk. Don't forget, the deadline for entries is November 15th. You've only got about 10 days. So put your thinking hat on, get writing, and we look forward to hearing and seeing your stories.